pause. Please get everything started and let me know when I can begin. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again as we continue on in the study we're doing in the book of Acts. Uh, it's really been a study in the entire New Testament. Um, we've already worked through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We didn't do them in exactly that order. We did Matthew, Mark, and then John, and now Luke, and then Acts together. Because, as I've said 26 times now, uh, <laughs> Luke and Acts were written by Luke to Theophilus, which means lover of God. And he is a historian, uh, Luke is, who does a great job of, uh, of chronicling for us first the, the life and ministry of Jesus and then the uh, activities of the early church in the book of Acts. And that um, there's a lot that we can get from the book of Acts because while we're no longer adding to Scripture or canon, um, we still in some ways, as his disciples, are living through the book of Acts. Uh, as we go out and do the things that Jesus has called us to do, the, the same thing that happened then is happening now. Jesus is with us, and, and as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we're out there doing the ministries given us, encouraging people, praying for people, um, serving people, loving people, leading them to Christ, the, the, the church continues to grow and expand, which is what Acts is all about. And it continues to this day. Pretty impressive, really, uh, when, you, when you look back and think how long this has been going on, and that, that you are tied into it. Through Christ, you're part of his story. And we say that all the time. History, but his story is what it is, and we're a part, and we're a part now. And, and we're adding to his story with every little tiny thing. And his story is made up of lots, of lots of little things. You know, that's why it's so cool to be a part. You know, you, you think, oh, what? but every little thing adds to his story. Every act of kindness, every... Um, kind word, every encouragement, every prayer, every blessing, every time you show love, hospitality, generosity, it all adds to his story. And that's what it's all about. So we're moving through the book of Acts, uh, just to give you a heads up. So this is Acts 26. Uh, then we have two more chapters after that, 27 and 28. Um, and this, we've been in trial, Paul's being on trial now for like four or five chapters. You'll be happy to know this is the last trial that's written about. And then Acts 27 and 28 are like the worst trip you'd ever want to take. <laughs> because he, it's like the worst cruise trip possible is what happens to Paul in the next chapter. And uh, we'll see that, and uh, we'll go from there. And then coming up, um, you know, you would think, if you were just looking at your Bible, that, that we're going to move into the, probably the next book would be the book of Romans. Paul wrote it, and it seems to fit. However, I've decided that what I want to do is, I, since we have Acts fresh in our minds, we're going to tackle through Paul's writings, kind of corresponding to when he wrote them. Um, in, in, in the things that he was doing. So I can go back and say, okay, now remember in Acts when he was doing this, he was also writing these letters. And so the next book up is First Thessalonians, followed by Second Thessalonians, and then I have to go back and look at my list. I think it's First Corinthians, and then it's Romans, and then some of the other ones. But we can, we can fit these into the events that we've been studying and to Paul's life. And how, you know, relative age and what's happening. And I think that as we do, you'll, you'll be able to get more out of it in context. My, my hope is now that when, when we go and read Thessalonians, you know it was about a church that Paul had started in Thessalonica. And he was answering some questions for them. And that, that you can relate to that now. Because you know what those churches had? 
problems. <laughs> Do you know what every church has? Problems. There's no perfect church anywhere. They all got problems. They all got issues. Things they're working through. Things they're dealing with. And, and what would happen is because Paul would go and start these things, um, and, and over time they'd say, well, you, didn't, you, know, you were only here like six weeks. <laughs> what are we supposed to do now? And he would write back to them. You know, he sent Timothy and Titus, and you'll see those guys. He had guys that he left, but things would come up. And it was, it was all new. I mean, you know, there's no church history to go to at this point in time. They're, they're just making it. And so they would, they would ask the guy who'd started them out, Paul. And Paul, you know, led by the Spirit of God, would write and give them wisdom, which still works today. But held in context, it makes more sense. So you're not just taking stuff randomly that Paul says and applying it to situations that it wasn't intended to do. That we're not supposed to do that with the Scripture. So, that's what's coming up. So if you like getting ahead, two more chapters in Acts, and then we're going to move into the First and Second Thessalonians. We probably won't do those a chapter at a time, because some of them are only like eight verses, ten verses. We'll do several chapters together. Okay? So that's what's coming up. Okay. That's enough of a preview. Let's, uh, let's hop into Acts chapter 26. Um, 32 verses. I will read them to you. You can follow along in your Bibles or in your bulletins. Um, whichever is easiest for you. I'm reading out of the NIV. Whatever version you happen to be reading from is good with me. Verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews know all the way that I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. This is the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O King, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority <clears throat> and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light 
and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and to the Gentiles also I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day, and so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer, and as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with him. They left the room, and while talking with one another, they said, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And blessed be the word of the Lord. All right, some neat stuff happens in there. Um, uh, you know, and if you remember from the last time, the last uh, sort of trial was with Festus. And, and so we've heard this defense now several times. Uh, in this has been going on and on. And Felix had one. And, and the San, you know, in the Sanhedrin there was one. And the commander was trying. This has been going on now for quite some time. Paul's defense stays, you know, right where he needs to say. And um, I like the fact that he... Um, he uses every one of these opportunities to present the gospel. It, to me, shows the heart of Paul. Here these, now, and at, by this time, he's been in prison for a couple of years. That, two years is a long time um, to be stuck and, and, and whatever you're doing. And so hold that into tension. As you read what he says. So, um, since Paul's already, verse 1, when he's, he's already presented his defense to Festus, he's now speaking to King Agrippa. Remember, King Agrippa is the grandson of uh, Herod the Great, son of, who all, and all, these, all his previous kings of Israel at this time have had some influence on the Gospels, and we reviewed that last week. I also like this, that Paul's motion, uh, that before he begins his defense, Paul it says motions with his hand. I like that. This is what I think he did, just so, so people were paying attention. <laughs> that only makes sense if you've been coming here. And he probably didn't do that. <laughs> but it leaves it wide open for interpretation. <laughs> so... And, and he gets their attention. As you would. If you go like this to somebody, they'll wonder what you're about to say. <laughs> Ask me later how I know. Now, uh, so he's, he's got their attention now. It's his. All these people, remember, they've, it's a big 
circumstance, pomp and circumstance, all these royalty, they're all dressed up and official. And you, we, we looked at Agrippa and Bernice, you know, his sister-girlfriend thing, and they're all there. And um, uh, Agrippa's Jewish, and so he, he's going to know more of this stuff than, um, than Festus does, because Festus has, uh, has a Greek worldview. He's Roman, and they've been impacted by the Greeks, and, and so their worldview is different. That's why the, the resurrection stuff to... Uh, uh, Festus is like ridiculous, but not to Agrippa. He's got the background for it in the process. So I think Paul's very sincere in his remarks to Agrippa because he talks about being fortunate to have the king hear him. I believe that because he, he wants to present the gospel to him. I think it's a, that's his heart. And so he's fortunate. He feels, see, at some level, I think he's got to start thinking that this two years has to mean something. Think about all the high-ranking officials he's been able to witness to. That, that, can have an impact on the world. And Paul has an impact on the world. You know, Rome, Paul's going to spend time in Rome. We're going to read about that, two years at least. And he spends a lot of time. And we know he's ministering to prison guards and anybody else that will listen. And, and he's actually in a rented home there. People are coming and going all the time. Um, he impacts enough. He gets enough started there that eventually, in about 250 years from Paul's, that... that Rome becomes the seat of Christianity for a while. You know, it becomes the official thing, um, which is good and bad. I mean, as soon as it be anyway. But anyway, it's it's all getting started because of what Paul's doing in this time. And so I love how God redeems time uh, in this process. He even redeems this time in prison. And so I think Paul's finally thinking, oh great, look at this crowd. I get to tell them about Jesus. Okay, God, I get it now. Two years, it's worth it. Because look at the look. At, these people would have never sat and listened to a discussion on Jesus. And, and I, I love it too because he, he tells them, "Listen to me, patiently." So we we saw um, a lawyer in the previous chapter, Tertullus, who said, "I'll be brief." Um, Paul's like, "I'm not going to be brief. I waited two years for this." <laughs> I spent two years of my life for this. You're going to hear it all. And he, and he starts to talk. And so, verses 4 through 8, he's talking about how he goes back to his childhood. I mean, he takes it back. From a child, I lived the life of my forefathers. And uh, in, in service to God, and, 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 and in believing in the hope of his ancestors of the resurrection. And he, he begins this whole process. And then... Verses 9 through 11, he says, uh, he, he says, not only was I, you know, extremely committed to Judaism because he was a Pharisee, which was the, you know, the, the, the strictest group of them all in, in the way that they did things. Um, not only was he extremely committed to them, but he had been fanatic in his opposition to Christianity. He brings it up. And I wonder, it can't be easy to bring that stuff up. And then, you know what I mean? I think, don't you think he's... I would guess he's, there's some conflict in what he did to the people that, and the message that he now would do anything for, that because he didn't know, he persecuted them to the point of death. And not only the ones that came, he came, I mean, he, he went after them from town to town, from synagogue to synagogue, trying to force them to blaspheme. Which, and the, the, the note in that was he was actually at the point of death trying to get people to renounce Christ. So now, do you think, see, I think, so how, how amazing is God now? Here's a person who went from town to town, 
trying to get people to renounce Christ, whom God takes, spins around, and uses to go from town to town to get people to accept Christ. Do you get any of that? Does that make you stop sometimes and go, wow? See, see, that's why you've you got to know God can use any of us. See, that's what He does. He, he turns us. It's fascinating to me to watch what happens and how God can use anybody. Anybody. It, it changes everything. I, I just, I was in uh, Costa Rica years ago doing some ministry and uh, uh, preaching out in the streets. And um, we were having a, it was a very successful thing. A lot of people coming to Christ. Um, and, and uh, you know, I was preaching through a translator, obviously, and, and uh, we, we just had a, a pretty impactful time, and, and, and people were responding, and I felt really drawn to this one man, and, and uh, had the interpreters come around, and we were talking to him, and he said that, um, that he wanted to come to Christ, but he couldn't because of the things that he'd done in his life. And it, we found out he was some type of gorilla at some point, and he'd done a lot of things that I don't even want to mention. And... Um, I was able, I, I immediately thought about Paul. And I said, no, that's, that's not it. I mean, that's, if, you, if you want Christ, you're in. All you've got to do is ask, and he can take and change your life. And, and we prayed, and he responded, and, and it was cool. And what was cool was, it, see, that situation, that guy, which was, it, it took quite a while, but he, he, he came through. Um, do you remember uh, when we were talking about um, the woman at the well? If you were here Sunday, we did it on Sunday, right? I did, yes. If you were here over the weekend, I talked about the woman in the well. And I said the cool thing was when she came to Christ, she immediately went back to her town and brought people out. This guy, after this huge thing that we went through and he came to Christ, he left. He scooted. I said, what happened to that guy? Because we weren't left yet. He came back with like 30 people. And, and most of them got saved too. I mean, it was cool stuff. But see, that's the kind of stuff God does. See, he's, he's in the restoration business. He's in the change business. He's in the... It doesn't matter what you did. You're not... You're in the kingdom, you're not known by what you did. You're known by whose you are and who you are and what you're doing for him. And I love that stuff. And so, so Paul, you know, he's telling them all this stuff he did. But, but I, I, I'm, you know, still fascinates me how those things happen. So, in effect, he was doing everything that he could do to wipe Christianity out. Everything that he could do. And then, um, verses 12 through 18, he tells the story again of his conversion on the road to Damascus. Which, you know, now we've heard numerous times. And, um, you know, about the bright light and falling down and the Lord appearing to him and who are you, Lord. This time they add a statement that I thought we'd better define. Because uh, the statement is, kick against the goads. Did anybody wonder what that meant when I read it? And you're just kind of going, huh. Kick against what? And, and other translations use funnier words that we don't even going to go to. But kick against the goads is one we're dealing with. That's the NIV. Now, a goad is, is a long stick with a pointed end that was used for prodding animals. And, and um, it, it's, it was very long, mostly to drive oxen and stuff. And it was very sharp. And, and it was used to keep them going. And it was used pretty gently. That's all they needed. But if the animal kicked against it, it would pierce their flesh. It would hurt them. And, and that was the expression, kicking against the goads. It's a, it's a metaphor that, that when you fight the direction you're supposed to go in, it hurts you. 
And so the metaphor for us in the process as it relates today, if you ever want to use it, because people are going to look at you, stop kicking against the goads. But, and, and if you're going to use it, you've got to just act like they ought to know what it's supposed to mean. Okay? Just trust me. Stop kicking against the goads and change it on. Um, it means that there's a way, there's a life uh, and a way to live life that's behind us and a, and a way to, to walk this thing out. Um, but we often fight it because of our sin nature. We, we fight it all the time. And in so doing, it's not that we're hurting God. We, we're hurting ourselves. And, and that's the struggle. And that's what's happening here. Paul was, was like thinking he was doing the right thing, but he was so doing the wrong thing that that was the big mess in the process. Okay? So, so apparently the Lord said to him, and it's the first time he gets recorded for us, stop kicking against the goats in Aramaic. There you go. Acts 26, 19 through 23. Um, Paul summarizes ministry everywhere and and then he says that the the message that he preached was a fulfillment of old testament prophecies concerning the death and resurrection of the messiah that his message is just a fulfillment of the old the, everything everybody's been waiting for it's all been about the messiah anyway he said my mess this is my message this is what we're waiting for this is the whole deal and that jesus is the messiah um now this is where festus pops in in verse 24 through 29 and he says because he his remember now he's got a Greek he's a Roman he's got a Greek worldview and they, they don't have any place in their worldview for resurrection um, uh, and so his only thing is he's just saying to Paul now in front of all these people dude you just lost your mind now he's listened to him a lot he knows he's really smart he says you're so smart you're crazy I like that and Paul just says I'm not crazy but I've already explained this to you. I need to talk to King Agrippa because he's got the right worldview. And so he, he keeps shifting the conversation now back to Agrippa. See, it's really all about him. And, and uh, he's apparently, Paul knows that Agrippa has been listening very closely to this conversation. My, my, my belief is that he's getting to Agrippa. See, you don't think after Paul has been all around the world leading people to Christ, he would have a sense of when the Spirit's moving on somebody that's about to come in? And I think he thinks... He's right on the line here. And so, he asks him this brilliant question. King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? And, see, here's the thing. He does. Agrippa does. We know it's his background. But if he says yes, he basically means that he's agreeing with what Paul is saying about who Jesus is. And he's in this big meeting with all these important people. And so his answer is, is pretty much all he can do. His answer comes in the form of sort of a joking question. To Paul, it's a deflection. So if you catch it, you need to know he's deflecting here because I'm, I'm, I, I would be. Uh, the spirit of God was moving on him, and he's, he's got a lot of mess he's got to deal with. Let's hope that he did, because um, Agrippa says to Paul in verse twenty-eight, "Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian?" I think it's a, it's a joking rebuttal, but he's getting, he's, what he's. I think what he's saying is, I'm almost in. <laughs> And I, I got to back off um, because it, he gets it. It's very persuasive. Paul was amazingly persuasive. Now, Paul, Paul takes this answer really seriously. And, and it, again, demonstrates the heart of Paul. Now, now, here's the thing. Here's the people that have held him captive, that have keep putting him on trial. They're all in the room. Everybody, that, all the, you know, they're all, all this stuff's been going on. All these people who've been holding him back and holding him down. And, and he says that his prayer is 
that Agrippa and everyone that's listening would uh, become like him, become like Paul, meaning be a Christian, except for the chains, except for being imprisoned. Do you get, I mean, that's, you know, love your enemies displayed from someone who, you know, would, uh, you would, you would guess that it would be easy to be sitting there for two years and, and be wanting to curse these people. Have bad things happen to them because they've held you captive. And there's so many other things you do. But Paul says, I just, I'd like to see you all get saved. That would, that would be, that would make it all worthwhile. That, that all of you would become Christians. But powerful stuff in the process. And then the last couple of verses there, um, Agrippa adds himself to the list of people in authority who have said that Paul was innocent. So, and, and that list includes the Pharisees at that trial, the commander in Jerusalem at his thing, Claudius Lysias, Governor um, uh, Festus. Uh, is, all these people have said, Felix, he's innocent. He hasn't done anything. And so the list continues to grow in the process. But Paul has requested to go to Rome. And sure enough, he's going to go. But see, God uses that. He said, God's with me. God's going to use that for because Paul's been wanting to go to Rome for a long time. And that's how he takes him there. And uh, like I said, next week, we'll look at 27 uh, and chapter 27. And it's the worst cruise ship trip imaginable. But not no trial in it. And then uh, in the last chapter, we'll see him get set up in Rome and where it goes from there. But that's good enough for today. If you're watching by video or on the Internet or wherever you happen to be, God bless you guys. We'll see you soon. Thanks for watching. You can turn off the recording. We're going to go ahead and...